It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, here we go, Rich. We are right into the new year, aren't we, for sure? Now, wasn't last week fun and nice and warm with Gail McWilliams participating, even though she is home with the Lord. That's right. Her legacy continues on. And remember, she chose legacy over convenience. Exactly. Well, anyway, we've got to get into today's program, folks, because there's a lot of controversy going on in America right now. You talk about being split. You talk about being divided. And there's so many people who seem to delight in the fact of dividing people and splitting them up. And all of those things. And I just want to reflect on that, Rich. Among the things that are very, very important to us is life and then liberty and then the pursuit of happiness. Now, life, of course, is we're very pro-life. That's important to us. And the Supreme Court of the United States, as well as defunding Planned Parenthood, everything else pertaining to that's important to us, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. And then religious liberty, that's so important. So all of these issues... All of these issues that we looked at so carefully, I think Donald Trump is making promises, and so far his appointments have been terrific, and that includes education. So whether it's the inner city or the outer city or wherever, there should be a good school for those little kindergarten and grade school kids to start going and get a good education. All of this is important, isn't it? Well, yes, sir, it is. But today we're going to go back a year and a half because we brought the speech of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu from Israel when he addressed the joint session of Congress because the current administration, Barack Obama president, you see, he didn't want him to speak. He didn't want him to speak. The current administration has not been a friend of Israel, and anyone who cares and anyone who watches it knows that. So Prime Minister Netanyahu came before the full joint session of Congress, kind of going around the executive branch, and we're going to have that again now. And, Dad, the reason why this is important is because of what the U.N. just did and what the U.S. facilitated and allowed the U.N. to pass this terrible resolution against Israel, condemning them back to the 1967 borders, which are totally indefensible. Yeah. That's like a suicide pact for the yeah. nation of Israel. And Benjamin Netanyahu, when he was here two years ago in 2015, he addressed that to the Congress. I tell you what folks now if you're a christian if you believe the bible and you recognize that israel is america's ally in that part of the world and deserves our friendship then you will appreciate what he said this is a year and a half ago here it is my friends i've come here today because as prime minister of israel i feel a profound obligation to speak to you about an issue that could well threaten the survival of my country and the future of my people Iran's quest for nuclear weapons. We're an ancient people. In uh, our nearly 4,000 years of history, many have tried repeatedly to destroy the Jewish people. Tomorrow night, on the Jewish holiday of Purim, we'll read the book of Esther. We'll read of a powerful Persian viceroy named Amman, who plotted to destroy the Jewish people some 2,500 years ago. But a courageous Jewish woman, Queen Esther, exposed the plot and gained for the Jewish people the right to defend themselves 
against their enemies. The plot was foiled. Our people were saved. Today, the Jewish people face another attempt by yet another Persian potentate to destroy us. Iran's Supreme Leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, spews the oldest hatred of anti-Semitism with the newest technology. He tweets that Israel must be annihilated, but he tweets in English that Israel must be destroyed. For those who believe that Iran threatens the Jewish state, but not the Jewish people. Listen to Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, Iran's chief terrorist proxy. He said, if all the Jews gather in Israel, it will save us the trouble of chasing them down around the world. But Iran's regime is not merely a Jewish problem, any more than the Nazi regime was merely a Jewish problem. The six million Jews murdered by the Nazis were but a fraction of the 60 million people killed in World War II. So too, Iran's regime poses a grave threat, not only to Israel, but also to the peace of the entire world. To understand just how dangerous Iran would be with nuclear weapons, we must fully understand the nature of the regime. The people of Iran are very talented people. They're heirs to one of the world's great civilizations. But in 1979, they were hijacked by religious zealots, religious zealots who imposed on them immediately a dark and brutal dictatorship. That year, the zealots drafted a constitution, a new one for Iran. It directed the Revolutionary Guards not only to protect Iran's borders, but also to fulfill the ideological mission of jihad. The regime's founder, Ayatollah Khomeini, exhorted his followers to export the revolution throughout the world. I'm standing here in Washington, D.C., and the difference is so stark. America's founding document promises life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Iran's founding document pledges death, tyranny, and the pursuit of jihad. And as states are collapsing across the Middle East, Iran is charging into the void to do just that. Iran's goons in Gaza, its lackeys in Lebanon, its revolutionary guards on the Golan Heights are clutching Israel with three tentacles of terror. Backed by Iran, Assad is slaughtering Syrians. Backed by Iran, Shiite militias are rampaging through Iraq. Backed by Iran, Houthis are seizing control of Yemen, threatening the strategic straits at the mouth of the Red Sea. Along with the Straits of Hormuz, that would give Iran a second choke point on the world's oil supply. Just last week, near Hormuz, Iran carried out a military exercise blowing up a mock U.S. aircraft carrier. That's just last week, while they're having nuclear talks with the United States. But unfortunately, for the last 36 years, Iran's attacks against the United States have been, have been anything but mock, and the targets have been all too real. Iran took dozens of Americans hostage in Tehran, murdered hundreds of American soldiers Marines in Beirut, and was responsible for killing and maiming thousands of American servicemen and women in Iraq and Afghanistan. Beyond the Middle East, Iran attacks America and its allies through its global terror network. It blew up the Jewish Community Center and the Israeli Embassy in Buenos Aires. It helped Al-Qaeda bomb U.S. embassies in Africa. 
It even attempted to assassinate the, the Saudi ambassador right here in Washington, D.C. So at a time when uh, many hope that Iran will join the community of nations, Iran is busy gobbling up the nation. We must all stand together to stop Iran's march of conquest, subjugation, and terror. Now, two years ago, we were told to uh, give President Rouhani and Foreign Minister Zarif a chance to bring change and moderation to Iran, some change, some moderation. Rouhani's government hangs gays, persecutes Christians, jails journalists, and executes even more prisoners than before. Iran's regime is as radical as ever. It's cries of death to America, that same America that it calls the great Satan, as loud as ever, because the ideology of Iran's revolutionary regime is deeply rooted in militant Islam. And that's why this regime will always be an enemy of America. The battle between Iran and ISIS doesn't turn Iran into a friend of America. Iran and ISIS are competing for the crown of militant Islam. One calls itself the Islamic Republic. The other calls itself the Islamic State. Both want to impose a militant Islamic empire, first on the region and then on the entire world. They just disagree among themselves who will be the ruler of that empire. In this deadly game of thrones, there's no place for America or for Israel, no peace for Christians, Jews, or Muslims who don't share the Islamist medieval creed, no rights for women, no freedom for anyone. So when it comes to Iran and ISIS, the enemy of your enemy is your enemy. The difference is that ISIS is armed with butcher knives, captured weapons, and YouTube whereas Iran could soon be armed with intercontinental ballistic missiles and nuclear bombs. We must always remember, I'll say it one more time, the greatest danger facing our world is the marriage of militant Islam with nuclear weapons. To defeat ISIS and let Iran get nuclear weapons would be to win the battle but lose the war. We can't let that happen. But that, my friends, is exactly what could happen if the deal now being negotiated is accepted by Iran. That deal will not prevent Iran from developing nuclear weapons. It would all but guarantee that Iran gets those weapons, lots of them. Let me explain why. While the final deal has not yet been signed, certain elements of any potential deal are now a matter of public record. You don't need um, intelligence agencies. You can Google it. Absent a dramatic change, we know for sure that any deal with Iran will include two major concessions to Iran. The first major concession would leave Iran with a vast nuclear infrastructure, 
providing it with a short breakout time to the bomb. Breakout time is the time it takes to amass enough weapons-grade uranium or plutonium for a nuclear bomb. According to the deal, not a single nuclear facility would be demolished. Thousands of centrifuges used to enrich uranium would be left spinning. Thousands more would be temporarily disconnected, but not destroyed. Because Iran's nuclear program would be left largely intact, Iran's breakout time would be very short, about a year by U.S. assessment, even shorter by Israel. If Iran's work on advanced centrifuges, faster and faster centrifuges, is not stopped, that breakout time could still be shorter, a lot shorter. True, certain restrictions would be imposed on Iran's nuclear program, and Iran's adherence to those restrictions would be supervised by international inspectors. But here's the problem. You see, inspectors document violations. They don't stop them. Inspectors knew when North Korea broke to the bomb, but that didn't stop anything. North Korea turned off the cameras, kicked out the inspectors. Within a few years, it got the bomb. Iran, too, has defied international inspectors. It's done that on at least three separate occasions, 2005, 2006, 2010. Like North Korea, Iran broke the locks, shut off the cameras. Now, I know this is not going to come as a shock to any of you, but Iran not only defies inspectors, it also plays a pretty good game of hide-and-cheat with them. Iran was also caught, caught twice, not once, twice, operating secret nuclear facilities in Natanz and Qom, facilities that inspectors didn't even know existed. As the former head of inspections for the IAEA said in 2013, if there's no undeclared installation today in Iran, it'll be the first time in 20 years that it doesn't have one. Iran has proven time and again that it cannot be trusted. And that's why the first major concession is a source of grave concern. It leaves Iran with a vast nuclear infrastructure and relies on inspectors to prevent a breakout. That concession creates a real danger that Iran could get to the bomb by violating the deal. But the second major concession creates an even greater danger that Iran could get to the bomb by keeping the deal. Because virtually all the restrictions on Iran's nuclear program will automatically expire in about a decade. Now, a decade may seem like a long time in political life, but it's the blink of an eye in the life of a nation. We all have a responsibility to consider what will happen when Iran's nuclear capabilities are virtually unrestricted and all the sanctions will have been lifted. Iran would then be free to, to build a huge nuclear capacity that could produce many, many nuclear bombs. Iran's supreme leader says that openly. He says Iran plans to have 190,000 centrifuges, not 6,000 or even the 19,000 that Iran has today, but 10 times that amount, 190,000 centrifuges enriching uranium. With this massive capacity, Iran could make the fuel for an entire nuclear arsenal, and this in a matter of weeks, once it makes that decision. The foremost sponsor of global terrorism could be weeks away from having enough enriched uranium for an entire arsenal of nuclear weapons, and this with full international legitimacy. If Iran's intercontinental ballistic missile program is not part of the deal, well, Iran could have the means to deliver that nuclear arsenal 
to the far-reached corners of the earth, including to every part of the United States. So you see, my friends, this deal has two major concessions. One, leaving Iran with a vast nuclear program. And two, lifting the restrictions on that program in about a decade. That's why this deal is so bad. It doesn't block Iran's path to the bomb. It paves Iran's path to the bomb. So why would anyone make this deal? Because they hope that Iran will change for the better in the coming years? Or they believe that the alternative to this deal is worse? Well, I disagree. I don't believe that Iran's radical regime will change for the better after this deal. This regime has been in power for 36 years, and its voracious appetite for aggression grows with each passing year. This deal would, wet appetite, would only whet Iran's appetite for more. Would Iran be less aggressive when sanctions are removed and its economy is stronger? If Iran is gobbling up four countries right now while it's under sanctions, how many more countries will Iran devour when sanctions are lifted? Would Iran fund less terrorism when it has mountains of cash with which to fund more terrorism? Why should Iran's radical regime change for the better when it can enjoy the best of both worlds, aggression abroad, prosperity at home? This is a question that everyone asks in our region. Israel's neighbors, Iran's neighbors, know that Iran will become even more aggressive and sponsor even more terrorism when its economy is unshackled and it's been given a clear path to the bomb. And many of these neighbors say they'll respond by racing to get nuclear weapons of their own. So this deal won't change Iran for the better. It will only change the Middle East for the worse. A deal that's supposed to prevent nuclear proliferation would instead spark a nuclear arms race in the most dangerous part of the planet. This deal won't be a farewell to arms. It would be a farewell to arms control. And the Middle East would soon be crisscrossed by nuclear tripwires. A region where small skirmishes can trigger big wars would turn into a nuclear tinderbox. If anyone thinks, if anyone thinks this deal kicks the can down the road, think again. When we get down that road, we'll face a much more dangerous Iran, a Middle East littered with nuclear bombs, and a countdown to a potential nuclear nightmare. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come here today to tell you we don't have to bet the security of the world on the hope that Iran will change for the better. We don't have to gamble with our future and with our children's future. We can insist that restrictions on Iran's nuclear program not be lifted for as long as Iran continues its aggression in the region and in the world. Before lifting those restrictions, the world should demand that Iran do three things. First, stop its aggression against its neighbors in the Middle East. Second, Second, stop supporting terrorism around the world.
And third, stop threatening to annihilate my country, Israel, the one and only Jewish state. If the world powers are not prepared to insist that Iran change its behavior before a deal is signed, at the very least, they should insist that Iran change its behavior before a deal expires. If Iran changes its behavior, the restrictions would be lifted. If Iran doesn't change its behavior, the restrictions should not be lifted. If Iran wants to be treated like a normal country, let it act like a normal country. My friends, what about the argument that there is no alternative to this deal, that Iran's nuclear know-how cannot be erased, that its nuclear program is so advanced that the best we can do is delay the inevitable which is essentially what the proposed deal seeks to do. Well, nuclear know-how without nuclear infrastructure doesn't get you very much. A race car driver without a car can't drive. A pilot without a plane can't fly. Without thousands of centrifuges, tons of enriched uranium, or heavy water facilities, Iran can't make nuclear weapons. <laughs> Iran's nuclear program can be rolled back well beyond the current proposal by insisting on a better deal and keeping up the pressure on a very vulnerable regime, especially given the recent collapse in the price of oil. Now, if Iran threatens to walk away from the table, and this often happens in a Persian bazaar, call their bluff. They'll be back because they need the deal a lot more than you do. And by maintaining the pressure on Iran and on those who do business with Iran, you have the power to make them need it even more. My friends, for over a year, we've been told that no deal is better than a bad deal. Well, this is a bad deal. It's a very bad deal. We're better off without it. Now we're being told that the only alternative to this bad deal is war. That's just not true. The alternative to this bad deal is a much better deal. A better deal that doesn't leave Iran with a vast nuclear infrastructure and such a short breakout time. A better deal that keeps the restrictions on Iran's nuclear program in place until Iran's aggression ends. A better deal that won't give Iran an easy path to the bomb. A better deal that Israel and its neighbors may not like, but with which we could live, literally. And no country, no country has a greater stake 
No country has a greater stake than Israel in a good deal that peacefully removes this threat. Ladies and gentlemen, history has placed us at a fateful crossroads. We must now choose between two paths. One path leads to a bad deal that will at best curtail Iran's nuclear ambitions for a while, but it will inexorably lead to a nuclear-armed Iran whose unbridled aggression will inevitably lead to war. The second path, however difficult, could lead to a much better deal that would prevent a nuclear-armed Iran, a nuclearized Middle East, and the horrific consequences of both to all of humanity. You don't have to read Robert Frost to know. You have to live life to know that the difficult path is usually the one less traveled. But it will make all the difference for the future of my country, the security of the Middle East, and the peace of the world, the peace we all desire. My friends, standing up to Iran is not easy. Standing up to dark and murderous regimes never is. With us today is Holocaust survivor and Nobel Prize winner, Elie Wiesel. <laughs> Elie, your life and work inspire us to give meaning to the words, never again. And I wish I could promise you, Eli, that the lessons of history have been learned. I can only urge the leaders of the world not to repeat the mistakes of the past. Not to sacrifice the future for the present. Not to ignore aggression. But I can guarantee you this. The days when the Jewish people remain passive in the face of genocidal enemies, those days are over. We are no longer scattered among the nations, powerless to defend ourselves. We've restored our sovereignty in our ancient home, and the soldiers who defend our home have boundless courage. For the first time in a hundred generations, we, the Jewish people, can defend ourselves. This is, why, this is why, as Prime Minister of Israel, I can promise you one more thing. Even if Israel has to stand alone, Israel will stand. But I know that Israel does not stand alone. I know that America stands with Israel. I know that you stand with Israel.
You stand with Israel because you know that the story of Israel is not only the story of the Jewish people, but of the human spirit that refuses again and again to succumb to history's horrors. Facing me, right up there in the gallery, overlooking all of us in this august chamber is the image of Moses. Moses led our people from slavery to the gates of the Promised Land. And before the people of Israel entered the land of Israel, Moses gave us a message that has steeled our resolve for thousands of years. I leave you with his message today. Be strong and resolute, neither fear nor dread them. My friends, may Israel and America always stand together, strong and resolute. May we neither fear nor dread the challenges ahead. May we face the future with confidence, strength, and hope. May God bless the state of Israel, and may God bless the United States of America. And there you have it, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu addressing the joint session of Congress in March of 2015. He spoke of the bad Iran nuclear deal, which was later signed by President Obama. And now in the final days of his administration, President Obama allows the U.N. resolution condemning Israel to the indefensible pre-1967 borders and relinquishing its control of Jerusalem and the Western Wall. Folks, change is coming on January 20th. Please continue to pray for America and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is Rich Bott with my dad, Dick Bott, with another chapter of The Complete Story brought to you as a public service of Bot Radio Network. Thanks for listening. <laughs>